our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Jim Rohn once said, happiness is not something you postpone for the future. It's something you design for the present. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 18 years. I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things— Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 968th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. That's right, and we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting. So, here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So, Jonathan, let's get started. What's the subject that's on the table on this fine day? Well, Rick, our question is, why can't I just be happy? Our theme text is found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Okay. You know, before we get started, it's always our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant and practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite, we try and find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. And when you, when you talk about happiness, you say, well, pressing issue of our day— Yes, it is. Why? Most of us aren't happy. <laughs> I mean, think about this. You want to be happy. I want to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. I mean, who wouldn't want to be happy? The Declaration of Independence of the United States of America talks about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as being unalienable rights of humanity. So what can we include from all of that? Happiness is a central objective and desire that belongs to everyone. Having said that, okay, why aren't we happy? Why are so many of us frustrated, disappointed, and anxious about our lives? Why do we overeat, binge, eat chocolate, shop, or do any number of other things to hide from our lack of happiness? Why can't we just be happy? Why can't we stop comparing, stop wishing, stop regretting, stop rationalizing, and just start living today for the glory of it being our present? There is hope, because happiness is actually attainable. We just need to know where and how to look for it, and how to recognize it when we see it. So, Jonathan, it's all about being happy. I like the subject. Well, let's get happy with it. Let's do that. <laughs> So, look, the whole idea of the question, why can't I just be happy, 
actually needs to be rebooted here. We need to reboot this because happiness is often elusive and it is therefore a long-term objective for most of us. Now, I'm not talking about being happy because somebody gave you a present and you open the present and you say, wow, that makes me happy. That's great. But that's not the kind of happiness we want to really focus on. Yeah, that wears off. Right. Really quickly, doesn't it? We want to focus on the kind of happiness that won't leave you alone. That's going to always be coming back again and again. So rebooting it being the case, let's frame our approach to happiness this way. Let's ask this question instead. How can I learn to continually grow into a happy, God-honoring life? See, now that is a question that's got teeth to it. Good teeth I'm talking about, not teeth that tear you to pieces. Rick, Webster's Dictionary says that happiness can be characterized by well-being and contentment. So as we search for long-term happiness, we are sure to find contentment. And one of the things we're going to find out, Jonathan, as we go through this subject today, is that happiness and contentment are soulmates. They just belong together. And that's something we're going to really, really get into as we go through uh, this particular uh, broadcast today. So let, let's start with a soundbite. Let's go to How to Be Happy from the Science of Happiness, and they're going to give us a, a definition of happiness. How to be happy is a powerful question to ask. So I contacted the psychologists and experts in the science of happiness over at Happify to give me their best answer, and man, did they deliver. Our personal definitions of happiness might differ, but scientists view happiness as a combination of how satisfied you are with your life and how good you feel on a daily basis. It varies from person to person, but approximately 40% of your happiness is controlled by your thoughts, actions and behaviors. 50% is genetically determined. And 10% is determined by your circumstances. Contrary to popular belief, we get used to our circumstances over time, so they don't play as large a role in our happiness level as we might think. So that's kind of interesting when you think about it. You've got uh, 40% of your happiness is as a result of what you think about. 50% is, is your genetic makeup, and only 10% is your circumstances. That's so hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because what's the one thing we always try to change when we want to be happy? Our circumstances. <laughs> right, right, right. So we look on the outside and figure, I'm not happy because of what's out there, when in fact it may be, I'm not happy because of what's in here. And that's part of understanding how to make this all work together to create a happy life for ourselves. And the two things he brought out, satisfied with life and how glad you feel daily. I was thinking to start off your day as a Christian, if you start off with prayer, you should be very satisfied with your life because you just talked to the creator of the universe and you're hoping that he leads and guides you throughout that whole day. So that, that's a, just a perspective to have as you begin each day. So let me ask you, Jonathan, point blank. Are you generally a happy person? I am. You know, I can tell, n <laughs> not just because of, not, seriously, not just because of the, the upbeat personality, but I can tell because almost every single week we do a podcast, you make it a point, a very clear point to say, Rick, if we pray, 
whatever it is we're talking about is going to get better. Yes. And and I think that 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 comes out in in this happiness conversation is such an important basis to begin to look at in terms of our, our our gaining happiness. So good 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 place for us to start. So for our conversation today, let's label happy as a state of mind. And, okay. And let's label content as a state of being. Oh, I like that. Little different, very mm. well, very much connected, but that's that's where we where where we need to start now. With our theme scripture, there is something hidden in that scripture that 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 kind of unlocks a door to happiness. So let's go back again to Philippians 4:12, Jonathan the theme text. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So wait, wait, secret, secret. What secret? He says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going. I mean, is there a secret to that? Obviously there is. Otherwise, the apostle wouldn't have told <laughs> us. So it's interesting because the word secret, I have the, the phrase, I have learned the secret, literally means I have been sort of initiated into the minis- mi- mysteries So I've been initiated into the mysteries of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. So what that's telling us is there's something to coping with having a lot or having almost nothing. There is a secret. There is an understanding for life that we want to get to so that we can truly draw from that as part of our lives. Everyone should want that secret. Well, let's find it then. I mean, if everybody should want it, why don't we just find it? Let's go Let's go find it right now. So as we go through the, the podcast today, we're going to go through several happiness observations. And so, Jonathan, what's the first happiness observation that just sort of lays the foundation, lays the groundwork? Well, Rick, it's managing physical or emotional changes in life as a learned behavior. Okay, so we have to recognize that to manage the physical and emotional changes in our life, we have to learn how to do that. It's not going to come naturally. Uh, Practice makes perfect. Yes, and, <laughs> and, 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 and that's, that, that's so true. That's so important here as we look at this. And, and you know, one little side note about that. Um, my, I was just telling you before we started the podcast, my son and daughter-in-law are up from, from Virginia visiting for a few days and they've got an 18 month old and, uh, my daughter here, uh, Amy has a, a 17 month old. And so you've got two little girls. They are the most precious little things you'll ever want to see. But you, you watch how, when something doesn't quite go their way, it's not like, oh, okay, no problem, mom and dad, I can cope. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> they have to learn the behavior. They have to be taught how to cope when everything isn't just so. That that reminds me, Rick, of Hebrews 4.11, labor into rest. You yeah. have to work at it. Right. Labor to enter into rest. You yes. don't get the rest unless you do the work. And that's going to be a theme that's going to come back through this, this uh, podcast again and again about laboring for those things that we're capable of. So, so let's go to get a little bit of background on happiness in the scriptures because I think there's something fascinating here 
in, in terms of understanding what happiness means. So let's start with the Old Testament. And Jonathan, we're going to sound like dictionaries for a couple minutes here, but this is just to kind of set some groundwork so we've got something to work with. Old Testament word for happiness. What is it? What, what, what are the definitions? What does it mean? It means happiness and blessedness is the first one. Okay, so there's really nothing uh, too surprising there, is there? No. I mean, happiness means happiness. Hoo-hoo, we've, we've discovered the secret. <laughs> well, not yet, okay? That's plain. But the interesting thing is happiness or blessedness. You got to think about that because that reframes happiness. It does. Happiness without blessedness. We can be happy from a purely human perspective, or we can be blessed from a godly perspective. The godly perspective blessing is the scriptural definition of being happy. So you got to think about that, because that means you've got to look at what it is that you think is making you happy or what you'd like to have make you happy. So now that word that, that means happiness or blessedness comes from a slightly, slightly different Old Testament word. And what does that word mean? Well, this is interesting, Rick. It means to be straight, to go forward. Now that's just plain weird. <laughs> I mean, think about that. What do you mean? The word for happy means to be straight or to go forward. So the primary word for happy in the Old Testament comes from a word that has to do with being level, moving forward, and progressing. So if that's the case, we could say that from an Old Testament perspective, to be truly happy and blessed is to be in a position where progress is attainable. Because it's, if it means to be straight or to go forward or to be level, then what you're saying is you're on ground that you can move forward through. And that's kind of an important point. That's kind of an important way to look at happiness, how it works, and what it can do for us. And Rick, um, I was thinking, if we take note of the little things in life and we're appreciative of those, I think that helps our attitude uh, every day. Let me give you an example. How about running water, warm showers, indoor toilets? I mean, <laughs> I'm thankful for those. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and you're right. We you think about how we can complain if you turn the water on for the shower and it's a little too cold and you've got to wait 11 seconds. Like, <laughs> oh, poor me. Think about this. You know, but the fact is, you're right. You have running water. Look at the things in life and say, wow, that's something that really contributes to my life that I don't even think about that I take for granted. So good way to start. Prayer and little basic things in life. Let's go to another soundbite. This is from the Meetology Lab. And this is the science, science-backed reasons you should quit complaining. So I kind of like the, the, this, the description of this. This is going to be the first of these science-backed reasons we should stop our complaining. I shared some great science this week on our social media channels about why it's bad to moan. It's actually bad for you. And the first reason I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three, but the first reason is based in neuroscience. When we moan, the synapsis between our neurons, fire, the, the gap between the, uh, the two neurons, has a connectivity. And when, when we do that, those become stronger and stronger. So when we're moaning, our brain is becoming more used to it, it's becoming better at it, it's becoming more familiar with it. Essentially, what we do more of, we get better at. And that's the amazing plasticity of the brain. So if I'm gonna keep complaining, I get better at it, I get more used to it, and that's not a good 
All right, so moaning and groaning can be a habit that becomes something you don't even think about and you get really good at. Uh, and no one wants to be around you, Rick. That's right. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. So so with that, let's go to a, a happiness scripture. Happiness scripture, trusting in the Lord brings happiness. You've been saying that just since we got started. And happiness is a pathway to progress. Let's look at Proverbs 16, 18 to 20. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. And that word blessed means happy. Happy is he who trusts in the Lord. So the trusting in the Lord is what brings happiness, not having lots and lots and lots of stuff, but trusting in the Lord, putting our hearts and minds in the right place. And also, Rick, um, to go along with that soundbite of moaning, I thought of Philippians 2.14, do all things without murmuring or disputing. All right, so you don't want to be moaning, you don't want to be murmuring, you don't want to be disputing. We we got to get past all that kind of stuff. And, and this is a great place to start, though. You know, the, the, the first happiness observation is managing our physical or emotional changes in life is a learned behavior. We have to acknowledge the fact. We've got to learn it. We've got to figure it out. We've got to know that it takes work to get there. And if you want to be happy... You got, there are certain things you got to do to acknowledge uh, what the process is. That's one of them. You talked about prayers the, uh, as part of the process. You mentioned you know, looking at the little things in life as part of the process. All of these things come together to create uh, a, a, a basis for our understanding and a basis for us to truly find what happiness is and how it works. Rick, this brings us to another question. If happiness is an objective, what do we do to obtain it? Now let's bring the better questions. That's how we get the better answers. So, Jonathan, that's an, that's an important place for us to start. You know, to, to get better answers, we've got to dig deep a little bit further and understand what makes it all happen. So let's go now to our second happiness observation. What is that? Heartfelt personal anxiety must be countered by contentment for happiness to be given a place to live in our hearts. So we are connecting heartfelt personal anxiety with our ability to be happy and saying, okay, here's the thing. We acknowledge that we all have heartfelt personal anxiety. Yes, we do. Somehow, to be happy, you have got to counter that personal anxiety with contentment. And we got to figure out how do we do that. But before we do, let's take a little bit of a left turn here just for a moment. Let's go to another soundbite. This is from the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. And, you know, if you're going to talk about being happy, I think that's a great movie to quote from. And uh, it's, it's a Will Smith movie. It, and, folks, if it's, it's been out for many, many years now. And if you haven't seen it, it's a great, great movie because it gives you a sense of somebody who's driven to take care of his son and to find success in life. And it really is quite inspiring. But here, here is, is, is Will Smith's character sort of thinking to himself about the dilemma that he faces in trying to find happiness in his own life. It was right then that I started thinking about Thomas Jefferson. 
and the Declaration of Independence. And the part about our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? That maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue. And maybe we can actually never have it, no matter what. How did he know that? And, and there's something very wise about the, the thought of the pursuit of happiness. And there's also something that can be very uh, uh, detrimental as well. Because if we're just pursuing happiness, and that's all we think about, we're going to miss the boat. There's much, much more to it than that. And, and we're going to expand that in a moment. Let, a good quote, though, from Lucius Aeneas Seneca. True happiness is to enjoy the present without anxious dependence upon the future. Again, such great wisdom here. Enjoy the present without anxiously depending on the future. Therefore, true happiness needs contentment to be able to flourish. Now, see, Jesus knew this and showed us what the road to contentment and happiness looks like. So it's interesting, you know, you get these philosophers that tell you all these things about being happy and, and, and how and why, and then you go to Jesus, and he sums it up better than anybody else can under any circumstances. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 32. We're going to break it up into pieces, and these are our are, are well-known verses, uh, teaching of Jesus about uh, learning to be content, about looking at things from a different perspective. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Okay, so that's going to bring us a, um, a, uh, a perspective. And it's going to bring us a contentment perspective. Our human life and body must be seen in the light of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. If we're followers of Jesus, then our life and body are bent toward his footsteps. Everything we do, everything we feel should be bent toward following after Jesus. And that is such an important place for us to start with this. So he says, don't worry about your life. Because life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. There's more to it than this. So he's kind of opening a door to get us started. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Give us a call at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. So this contentment perspective on our human life and, and body being seen in the light of the kingdom, and there's more to it than what is physically needed, is the beginning of Jesus teaching us something really, really powerful and really, really important. We're going to get to the next scripture in just a moment. Let's go back to how to be happy, the science of happiness, because now they're going to address, you know, they, they gave us the, uh, the sense of defining happiness previously. Now they're going to talk a little bit about increasing happiness. You can increase your happiness in the long term by nurturing relationships, having new experiences, helping others, or just by being grateful for what you have. You can get even more happiness out of a good experience by savoring it. Use all your senses. 
Pay attention to sights, sounds, smells and feelings. Pay attention to the little details of a great experience. Share it with someone else. And linger and dwell on the moment too. Savouring experiences makes us happier, more grateful and more hopeful while reducing levels of stress, guilt and depression. Good experiences strengthen the parts of the brain connected with happiness. So he talked about several things, nurturing, uh, you know, your, your, yourself, the experiences you have, having gratitude, savoring the good parts of an experience. And that reminds me, Jonathan, you, were, you mentioned in the first segment, you know, little things. Don't forget to be happy uh, because of little things in life. How about this one, Rick? You pick up meat from a store. It's all cut up. It's packaged. It's nice and clean. It's nice and cold. And you just bring it home. You mean you don't have to go slaughter a cow? No. No. So, you know, again, and I don't think we think about that. We just don't. But that's a source of saying, wow, life is good, even in the midst of our trials and our anxiety and our difficulties. So um, let's get back to Jesus' teaching here, because he goes through this, this, this reasoning about dealing with anxiety, and he counters it with contentment very systematically through these scriptures. So we're in Luke chapter 12. We read verses 22 and 23. Now let's go to verse uh, 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. All right, the birds. The animals go about their instinctive business and are provided for as a result. I mean, you think about that. There's no worrying. There's no wondering. Our contentment, our contentment will instinctively flourish when we are about the business of following Jesus. See, there's an instinctiveness of, you might call it contentment in, in, the, in the case of the, of the animals, because they just go about their business and take care of things. We can have the same instinctive contentment if we are about the business of following in the footsteps of Jesus. I think it's just such, such an important part of this whole thing. Uh, let's go to verse 25 and 26 from Luke 12. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? All right, so which of you, by worrying can add a single hour to your lifespan. doesn't say which of you by going to a doctor and treating an illness and getting rid of it and doing all of that or taking you know, the proper medicine, but which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your lifespan? And the Worry, Rick, worrying is going to take minutes off of yeah, your life. Yeah. Anxiety is it, it, just going to wear you down quicker. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it can and it will. And, and, and Jesus calls it a little thing. He says, if then you can't do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? So when we are in the big picture and we are looking at um, uh, God's plan, what we need to understand is that it really will work uh, very much to our benefit if um, we focus on, on how, how, to, how, to, how to put it all together. Our contentment comes in acknowledging that God does watch over us and care for our lives. Let's go on to uh, verse, uh, verses 27 and 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? 
you men of little faith. Okay, so you know it, it talked about the the our body to begin with. Then it then Jesus mentions the birds. They go about their instinctive business, uh, and then it says, "Look, you can't even add time to your life." By worrying about it, that's a little thing. Contentment comes in acknowledging that God does watch over and care for our lives. And now he talks about uh, the flowers. God's creations that simply grow because they are planted. And they are a stunning evidence of God's care for his creation. They re- our contentment can take root in this beautiful example of God's care for detail. And that's such an important part of this whole thing. Jonathan, I believe we have a call. I think we've got Julius on the line from Connecticut. Uh, good e- good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. All right, Julius, are you there? Okay, apparently not. Don't know what happened there. But um, we're going to have to try that again. So, um, Jonathan, uh, we, that call just didn't go through for some reason. Don't know why on that. Um, so anyway, the flowers we were talking about, God's creations, they, they simply are. And you think about it, and you think, well, okay, what, what's the value, what's the bigness of, of flowers? I mean, you want to talk about happiness. This spring, the, the flowers looked awesome with all of the rain and the sun that we've had. Just, they're gorgeous. That brings joy. And that's the point. Creation is not blasé. Creation is not without variety. Creation is not without things that you can look at and say, look at that. That is really an awesome thing. God provided that. And these simply grow. They just do. I mean, if you've ever seen a field of wildflowers, that's just what they are. Wild flowers. And they're there. Why? Not because you paid attention, not because you planted, but they are there because you 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 are happen to witness what God just allowed to be there. It's a beautiful thing. See, it's very inspiring. It is. Our contentment can take root in this beautiful, beautiful example of God's care for for detail. Jonathan, we're going to try that call again. See if we can get that call on. Uh, good evening, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening. Oh, <laughs> we there connected. you are. Yes, we are. Julius, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you. Good evening, Rick. Good evening, uh, Jonathan, the whole uh, team. Uh, I'm happy to be part of your program. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I work with a group of ladies uh, in the office uh, for years. And uh, one time I, uh, you know, made believe one of them, she was my attorney. When, whenever I got into some uh, silly issue, I said, I, I got to see my attorney. So one day I came uh, to her. I said, attorney, uh, her name is Eva. I said, uh, I have a question for you. I said, when I go to these uh, big stores or the grocery store or whatever, uh, people have a tendency to smile at me. And I said, is it because I look friendly or because I look funny? <laughs> And before before she could answer, I said uh, all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, one of my favorite all scriptures in the whole Bible, uh, which connects to the Creator, that Jonathan mentioned earlier about starting your day with prayer. It, it there is no real happiness apart from our Creator. Uh, that's my philosophy, and I think uh, you agree with that. I you preached that for years. 
But anyway, one of my favorite scriptures is Psalms 16:11. I'll just quote part of it for you. In thy presence, the psalmist is uh, uh, preaching, you know, speaking to our Heavenly Father. And of course, it's prophetic of our Lord Jesus. It says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Well said. I like that. Uh, I think that's uh, very helpful. All right, Julius, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate your comments, and uh, God bless, and stay happy. Okay. All right, so Jonathan, he, Julius brought up uh, some, some uh, important aspects of happiness. And, and again, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. And happiness and joy really go together. And joy really is that sense of long-term, life-directing happiness that just stays there. And we want that. We want to have that in our Christian lives on a regular, uh, daily basis. Let's get back to Luke chapter 12. Julius, thanks so much for the call and the comments. Very much appreciated. Uh, Luke chapter 12, we're in verses, uh, verses 29 and 30. And do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. So we, as the called of Jesus, are different and our contentment depends upon our being reminded of this important, basic, life-changing fact. And what is that fact? He said, everybody looks for all the stuff that you're looking for. The fact is, you are trying to serve God with your everyday life. And if that's the case, then here's the simple, life-changing fact. Your father knows that you need these things. He knows. He also knows that there are a lot of things that you might want. And I might go another step further. He goes, he also knows there are a lot of things that, he, that you shouldn't really have that you might want. So now the happiness uh, uh, approach needs to be challenged a little bit as we go further with that. So what does that mean and how do we cope with it? Let's go to another soundbite from the Meteorology Lab. Uh, the second reason, remember they're going to give us reasons to quit complaining. The second reason uh, to quit complaining is that emotions spread. The second reason is actually to do with the fact that emotions spread. So my friends are going to feel my negativity. Those around me are going to feel my negativity. I'm spreading the virus of negative energy, negative negativity. That can't be a good thing, can it? Imagine there's a friend of yours that you always feel negative around. You're eventually going to stop returning their phone calls and seeing them. And, and that's the thing, Jonathan. You mentioned that earlier, that you just don't want to be around people who are just blatantly negative. It just, it just sucks the life right out of you. It really does. So let, let's finish up these verses. We're in Luke uh, 12, verses 31 and 32. And this is what it comes down to, Rick. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So now you've got to say, okay, what things are going to be added? I get something. I get something. What is it? What is it? What is it? We're going to go into verse 32 a little bit more next segment. But our contentment is a result of our focus and our application of that focus. Once we set our lives in order, we can begin to truly develop deep and abiding happiness. But that just doesn't come because you say, I just want to be happy. It comes because you look at these verses 
from what Jesus taught us and say, okay, you compare the birds, they don't worry. You compare the flowers, they're just plain old beautiful because they are. The, the, the body is more than food and clothing. There's more to it. God knows, and God is aware of us, and all of these things bring us to a much, much higher stage and part of our lives. Rick, from a practical perspective, contentment seems more important than happiness. So how do we master it? You thought we had it figured out. Time to make things more complicated. So, you know, Jonathan, it does get more complicated. And how do we get to the next step? If happiness is the objective, what do we do to obtain it? What do we do to make our lives work more clearly and more in a more focused way? Let's go to our third happiness observation, and then let's take this one apart. Well, Rick, contentment is the driving force that gives happiness deep roots. Okay. Contentment, folks, this is where it all comes together. This is where we can find the real roots of happiness. And that, say that again. This happiness observation is what? Contentment is the driving force that gives happiness deep roots. Okay. Contentment is the key to happiness. Not just being happy because something happens and you're happy because you had a birthday or something like that. I don't know. I have a birthday. I don't know if I'm happy anymore. I got to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's something deeper. And we're going to get into contentment in a big, big way this segment. Great quote, though, from Mahatma Gandhi. Happiness is when you think what you say and what you do are in harmony. That that means that your your whole being is in line with itself. That's where we can find true happiness. And we find it through our contentment. So, um, Jonathan, you, you had something you wanted to, to, to put in at this point? Uh, I wanted to do that right after the um, soundbite. Oh, I knew that. I knew that. So, okay, let's yep. do the soundbite then, shall we? All right. <laughs> Again, how to be happy, the science of happiness. Uh, now they're going to talk about the things that get in ha- the way of happiness and dealing with those. Three things that will kill your happiness over time are comparing yourself to others, a lack of close friendships, or holding on to resentment. People who've experienced some adversity in life are actually happier than those who've never experienced any. After adversity, once we've got some distance and perspective, making sense of our life's challenges helps us to shape our identities, increase our resilience, cope better with current stresses, and become more optimistic about the future. Feeling connected to a deeper purpose, mission, or direction in life is key for our well-being. That's so important, having a bigger purpose in life. And he said something really interesting. People who have gone through difficulties tend to be happier. You say, well, what's up with that? Well, don't we grow and mature through difficult trials in, in the, our Christian walk? Yes, and and it is the key, our purpose in life, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to be an example and a blessing to those we come in contact with, and helping our Lord in the kingdom help to bless all the families of the earth and help them from our own past experiences to be an encouragement. All right, so once again, you're saying you learn from what's in front of you. 
Good, great. Let's get down to it. And folks, if we're asking ourselves the question that we've started with, why can't I just be happy? You're asking yourself the wrong question. By asking that question, what you're saying is, why can't I just be happy? You're taking happiness and you're making it little. Why can't I just be happy? It's not a matter of just being happy. It's a matter of growing into continuous happiness by learning the art of contentment. So let's figure contentment out in this segment. First, uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. And again, verse 6 is one of those really profound scriptures that opens things up in a big, big way. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. All right. Godliness accompanied by contentment is a means of great gain. The word for contentment in this verse, Jonathan, what what does it mean? This is interesting. A competence. It means being competent. Now, you'd never think of being content as being competent. I know. That, that took me by surprise, too. But see, there's great, great power in this. So, and, and you know, the, the, the phrase, you know, it's, it said, the scripture said, uh, godliness is actually a means of great gain. The phrase great gain actually means splendid acquisition. So, godliness can bring us splendid acquisition when it's accompanied by spiritual competence because contentment in this verse means competence this would imply some level of maturity and that's exactly what you were talking about just a moment ago the following verse dictates a way to measure that maturity because now we have to figure out contentment because to get to happiness you have to find contentment and if you find contentment true contentment i promise you happiness will be right there so first timothy chapter six we read verse six now let's read seven through nine For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Okay, so the apostle is saying, look, you didn't bring anything in, you can't take anything out. It's funny how the phrase that comes from this verse resonates throughout the world. And I wonder if people know it comes from this verse. They all say, well, you know, you can't take it with you. (laughs) Right? You're right. Guess where it comes from. There it is. Okay. (laughs) But it says, having food and covering, therewith we shall be content. And you think, okay, he just talked about contentment one verse ago, two verses ago. Does this mean competence? No, this is an entirely different word. All right. And we're going to get to that in a a moment, but just want to lay that out there. Uh, so, and Rick, go ahead. V- verse 9 yes. is really a, a complete contradiction of the prosperity gospel. Okay, reread verse 9 just to make that point. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Okay, so yeah, if that's what your desire for your life is, it says you end up getting plunged into ruin and destruction too often in life, and it it ends up not being worth it, especially for a Christian. So this grand comparison flushes out our truest desires and shows us our level of spiritual maturity because that, that splendid acquisition of godliness with contentment, with competence, with spiritual competence, gives us great gain, not earthly gain, but great spiritual gain. So, so this word, it says, having food and covering, therewith we shall be content. 
What does that word actually mean? Well, Rick, it means properly to ward off. Okay. Now, again, some weird definitions tonight, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so it talked about godliness with contentment, with competence is great gain. And here, having food and covering, with these we shall be content. In other words, with these we shall be able to ward off other desires. Okay, that's what it's saying. It kind of puts up a shield for us. So contentment in these verses is a spiritual competence that wards off fleshly desire. So contentment, therefore, is not just sitting back and absorbing the trials of life, sitting back and say, well, you know, I'm going to be content with whatever God brings me and everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be good because I am going to be content and I'm just going to sit back and whatever comes my way, I'm just going to handle. It's just going to come to me and I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to be in my rocker and just enjoying the things and say I'm content even if it's bad because that's what I'm supposed to do. That's not what this is saying. It talks about spiritual competence. It talks about the ability to ward things off. Contentment, therefore, isn't sitting back and absorbing the trials of life. It is the strength of spiritual choice and action to choose the acceptance of circumstances for the sake of Christ. Not just absorbing them, but choose to accept them in action. Thanks for listening to Christian Questions Live. Call us now at 866-985-4255 or ask your questions and leave your comments at christianquestions.com. So, uh, Jonathan, you know, this is such an important thing, to have contentment. And, and, and you know, here, here, a good question w- was put, put in front of me. And it says, how does contentment work when you have inherited anxiety? Now, look. I know several people who have anxiety in life, and it's a genetic thing that's passed down. They are wired anxiously. And you say, okay, so how do you have contentment when it's in your wiring to not be content, to always be anxious, to always be worried, to always be sort of on edge? And that's a hard question to answer. But I think the answer is looking at the... Looking at the Luke 12 verses that we, we just read, and now go to the First Timothy 6 verses and focus on what contentment is. It is spiritual competence. So that implies doing the work, you know, to be competent at anything. To, to be competent at your job, Jonathan, you had to, to work at it, right? Absolutely. Over and over again to get it right. Spiritually, it's the same thing. Folks, to be spiritually competent, we have to be willing to work at these things, to get it right, to be able to do and to be what we should be. And it it comes through fellowship, it comes through study, it comes through prayer, it comes through saying, trying to stand up for what you believe in. Those are all things that create spiritual competence. Godliness with spiritual competence is great gain. Remember that. Okay, remember that. Let, let's go, we'll, we'll come back to this in a moment. Let's go to another soundbite from the Meteorology Lab. Uh, three science-backed reasons you should quit complaining. And, you know, it's just good to hear reasons why you shouldn't be doing things like that because they're no good. And the third thing is the stress hormone cortisol that gets released when we're moaning and when we're stressed. It can um, worsen blood pressure. It can lead long-term to diabetes. It's It's got so many negative uh, connotations in the long term. So if we're actually moaning all the time and complaining all the time, it can't be good for us. So my tip this week, my insight, based on neuroscience mainly, is 
Watch how much you're negatively complaining and moaning. It could become something you just do more and more and more into a cycle. Okay, so you can, and you, you mentioned this earlier, you can create illness in your life by, by allowing yourself to complain and moan and groan all the time. And again, you know, what good is it? Nobody wants to be around you anyway. <laughs> That's right. When, hey, Rick, how yes. about one more of those little things that we should uh, be happy about oh, is okay. – how about a change of clothes every day? Clean socks. <laughs> You're right. Such a simple little thing. I love putting on clean socks, okay? <laughs> it's, and again, and it's right there for us. So we're, 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 let's go a little bit further because now, folks, this next part to me was, was a real mind-opening experience, learning how the scriptures are connected. Because remember it said in, in the verse about godliness with contentment, uh, again, with competence is great gain. Then further on in 1 Timothy 6, it said, you know, having food and covering with these, we shall be content. We shall be able to ward off. That's what that word for content meant. There is another example of using that word to ward off. And I think this really fits well with the question of how does contentment work when you uh, have inherited anxiety? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, because this is the Apostle Paul talking about something that bothered him, his thorn in the flesh, and how he wanted it to be removed so he could work harder in the Lord's service. And he had said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this thorn in the flesh, we believe it was his eyesight. That's, an, that's kind of thing that you say, okay, that's something he could not physically get rid of. You can parallel that with inherited anxiety. Jesus' response to him is, my grace is sufficient for you. The word sufficient is the same word for content in verse uh, 8 of 1 Timothy 6, 9, where it says, having food and covering, with these we shall be content. We shall be able to ward off. So what Jesus is saying is, my grace can ward anything off, any lack in your life off for you. My grace will cover it. That's one of the ways we take our inherent anxiety and put it in the hands of God. We take that answer for ourselves. So the apostles' response is, well, I am therefore well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses and so forth. It's a whole different word for content. Another word. What does this one mean? To think well of, that is, approve an act. So to think well of, I think well of weaknesses and insults and distresses because when I'm weak— then I'm strong because the grace of Jesus can ward things off. See, that's contentment. Spiritual maturity, spiritual competence in action. Again, contentment is a spiritual competence that wards off fleshly desire, and now uh, we see it. It brings us a powerful acceptance of higher standards to deal with our many issues in life. Spiritual competence, spiritual applying the ability to ward these things off through that competence and thinking well of the difficulties because of those things. That's how we get here. 
let's talk about this powerful acceptance because he says, I am well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses. Let's look at a couple of other examples of being uh, well content, same exact uh, words. Where else can we find this powerful acceptance? This is powerful. Matthew 3, verses 16 to 17. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lightning on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The phrase, I am well pleased, is the same phrase that I am well content with weaknesses. That, so if God is showing us how well pleased he is in his Son, and the Apostle Paul takes that exact same word and says, I am well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses because when I'm weak, then I am strong. That shows spiritual competence. That does. It's, it's powerful. It's crazy how strong awesome. that is in terms of our, of our, of, of our very lives. There's, so this really gives us insight at what, in, in, into what it means to be godly. But there's more than that. There is more than Jesus that God is so content or so well pleased with. Let's look at Luke 12, 32. We touched on it previously, now we're coming back to it. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So what phrase are we looking at? Have chosen gladly, Rick. So your Father has chosen gladly, is well content, thinks well of, approves, giving you the kingdom. I mean, think about that. Wow. That, that, that's, <laughs> you know, that's beyond our pay grade. <laughs> but God looks at us and looks at our attempts to follow Jesus and says, yes, I am happy to give you the kingdom. The same happiness that God has in his son, the same acceptance and approving he has in his son, the same acceptance and approving he has in giving us the kingdom is the same acceptance and approving we need to learn to have by allowing the grace of Jesus to be able to ward off those things in our lives, to become spiritually content so that we can do the things that we need to do and so that we can be the people that we need to be in terms of watching and doing things to bring us happiness and contentment. Rick, on the personal side, what about when we want more from life? Are we not allowed to have it? We've covered a lot of ground. There's puzzle pieces everywhere. Now let's put those pieces together. Jonathan, that's such a good question. Okay, you want more from life, and there's nothing wrong with wanting more from life. So how do you go about getting more from life in a scripturally sound manner? And that brings us to our fourth happiness observation wanting and comparing seriously challenge spiritual contentment must therefore be understood and dealt with appropriately only then can happiness grow okay another issue with our happiness and our contentment is wanting and comparing I want this, I want that, I'm comparing myself to you, and you got a nicer house, and you got a better car, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and those things seriously challenge spiritual contentment. 
They do, Rick. And, and how about, I wish my child would be more like your child because they're so wonderful. Or, or I wish my wife would do that for me. She doesn't do that for me, but yours does. You know, this is the opposite of contentment. This right. is this is just comparing. This this is this is a disease. Well, and and all it brings us is more anxiety. And all it brings us is more reason to challenge the goodness that has been given to us in our lives. Uh, another great little quote, this one from Tom Wilson. A smile is happiness you'll find right under your nose. <laughs> and sometimes we just got to look right in front of us to find the things that can really truly change change our lives. So, you know, th- this is such an, an important part of these things. Uh, you know, the five points, we're going to go through five points in this segment, and they're from, uh, they're, they're from uh, uh, a, uh, a talk that Pastor Rick Warren uh, gave called Learning Contentment. But, you know, before we get to that talk, uh, what we want to do is just take a moment here and take a little divergence and just, you know, kind of mix it up because what are the results of always wanting more? So many times we get stuck, and I want, I want, I can't find, and now I'm frustrated. What do I do? You know, he talks about he's driving his car. He's the man on the radio. He's obviously wasn't listening to us. Okay. Because he said he was getting useless information. No, the information that we're giving you is scripturally based information that can change your life. And that's really the key here is. Uh, and Rick, <laughs> go ahead. one of the things I thought about when I started reading the, the, the outline was being satisfied with what the Lord gives you and where he directs you. And that reminds me of one of my favorite scriptures in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be satisfied with his leadings. And, and if we are not, then we're looking for the wrong things and we're looking in the wrong places. And, and that's what that, that the Rolling Stones song kind of reminds me of is, okay, you know, you're going about life all the wrong way. If you are so frustrated, you've got to change the way you see things. So let, let's go through these five things that looking for more gets us because, you know, we are so obsessed, especially in, in, in a culture like ours that is so well-developed with more. I can have more. I can be more. I can get more. I can do more. I want more. I want more. I'm more. What does more get you? What's the first thing that more gets us? More fatigue. The race to get more makes us work too hard. Isn't it true? Aren't we? Don't we get tired with the effort to always try to have more? It, it just, there comes a point where you've got to be able to say, look, it's good. It simply is good. If it's, if it's causing fatigue, the question is, is it worth it? What more are you trying to get that's causing such fatigue? Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. 
Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heavens. So it's like wealth teases you. You know, you set your sight on it. You think you're creeping up on it. And then it flies away and then you can't get it. And it's like, oh, man. Now, look. Does that mean you shouldn't work hard, and, and if you are blessed with talent and blessed with opportunities, you shouldn't take them? No, that's not what we're saying at all. Don't make those things the reason for your life. That's what we're saying. Because if you're going to pursue things, you're going to get tired. And Jonathan, when, when we pray for more, we somehow expect God to just give it to us, and just as we specified. Well, Lord, you know, I already asked you for this, right? I mean, come on. Now, kind of like a genie, kind of like a genie. Yeah, and, and and that brings the question: Who's who is God in that picture? You know, is it you granting? Ooh. You know, asking, saying, "Okay, these are my wishes." <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a, it's a role reversal, but yeah, yeah, trouble. You're right. But see, here's the thing: Since when does God simply give us the things that we can earn? Contentment means knowing God knows. Happiness can follow as a result of this knowledge. So, you know, we stopped talking about happiness for a while because we're dwelling on contentment because what we realize is contentment is the foundation for life-changing happiness. And the idea of more fatigue, if we're getting fatigued trying to get more because we can't get no satisfaction, okay, we've got to ask ourselves, is it worth the effort? Are we going in the right direction to fulfill our lives not just to fill our lives. Big difference. And Rick, what, what takes the toll when we work that hard with fatigue? How about those around us? Yeah, well, you're right, you're right. People's you, lives. Right, because you're not around and you don't contribute to the lives anymore, and you're right. Exactly. It, it, so, so, so more fatigue, that's what we get when we try to get more. What's the second thing that we try to get when we, when, when, when we end up getting when we try to get more? More expenses. It costs more to have more. Okay. If so, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, so is the water bill. <laughs> Somebody had to pay for that green. All right. Yeah, the grass can be greener on the other side of the fence. But, you know, now, am I saying you shouldn't have a nice lawn? I mean, you got to be careful here because for some people, that's therapy. That's therapeutic. They, that just helps their life to be rounded. Great. But when it becomes your life's obsession... Is there happiness and contentment in that? That's the question, especially if you're a Christian. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 and 11. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor will he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on. All right, we, we, we got to sort of do a little interpreting of this verse because this verse is really, really powerful. First of all, it says, he who loves money won't be satisfied with money. You think, well, wait a minute. Well, why wouldn't it? If you love money, why wouldn't you be satisfied with it? Because it's never enough. There's always more. There's always more to accumulate, all right? Um, th then he says, and this is great, verse 11, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So now, Jonathan, if you become incredibly successful— 
and your success goes out to those around you and everybody sees it in the house that you have and in the cars and in the pool and in the lifestyle, you suddenly attract lots and lots of new found friends. <laughs> well, you do. You know, when you, you see these, the, especially athletes, you see them, they travel with their, their groups of people. You know, they've got this, this, whole, this whole entourage that follows them around. Now, think about that. The entourage is actually, now maybe they are friends. I'm not going to say they're not. But whose dime is all of that traveling on? It's, it's on the person the who did the work. One. <laughs> so, and it says, you know, so what is the advantage of the owners except to look on? You're looking on and saying, wow, all these people are looking so thrilled at what I have provided. And there's something missing in that. See, contentment requires asking who we serve. Happiness can follow depending upon the answer. Who do you serve? And is that service bringing you contentment? And again, remember, contentment can be spiritual competence. It can be being able to ward off things. It can be that gladly accepting the difficulties because we see the higher purpose. Happiness follows depending on the answer to who it is that we serve. So, so, so Rick, uh, w winning the lottery doesn't bring contentment? Y you know, Rick, uh, I've never won it myself. Oh, yeah, that's because I don't play. Yeah, well... <laughs> But you know, it's a it's a scientific fact that winning the lottery doesn't doesn't bring contentment to people's lives. More often than not, people end up grumpier and sadder as a result. Because they it's not something they have earned, it's something that they get. And when you get something you haven't earned, it's really hard to find true, deep, life changing contentment in that. You're listening to Christian Questions Live. Talk to us now by calling 866-985-4255 or leave us a message on your app. Okay, so we've got more fatigue, more expensive expenses. The third thing that happens when we try to get more is what? More anxiety. The more you, the more have, you have, the more you have to worry about. I never, ever worry about my yacht um, getting barnacles. Why? Why? Because I don't own a yacht. Own a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> All right, more anxiety. There's things to keep track of, and 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 it and it can become something that just draws your attention. Ecclesiastes five twelve. The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. And again, that's kind of profound when you think about it. If you're working hard and you're making ends meet and you're, and you're contributing to your own life and you're, the, the value of your work is being reflected in, in where you're going, you sleep well at night. But if you've got stuff to keep track of and you're worried about losing it, uh, you know, maybe you don't sleep so well. See, anxiety can literally kill you over time. Contentment flourishes. When we do what's before us, with energy and commitment. Happiness lives in contented accomplishment. Now, we can accomplish things and not be contented. We're not going to be happy. Happiness lives in contented accomplishment. That's such an important thing. To, to be able to look at the accomplishment, and, and you know, you talked about it earlier about comparing, you know, your, your, your kids or your spouse or whatever to somebody else. Yeah. We may accomplish things in our lives, and we may look at, and no matter what we accomplish, there's always somebody who's done better, who's got That's more. That's right. 
who who mm-hmm. got who got a break we didn't get or whatever the case might be and we can so easily look at that not knowing the backstory and saying well I wish I could have been that I mean oh, yeah I guess I did okay but and see you you're not there's no contented accomplishment there maybe great accomplishment to be contented in the accomplishment that's where happiness can actually begin to grow shouldn't we feel happy and joyous for the person that is successful or has abilities and talents that we don't look at looking at at it as a positive versus I want that I wish it was me yeah to to be able to celebrate the accomplishment of someone else is a that's big powerful way to find contentment in your own life to truly celebrate and say look at what they've accomplished man that is incredible that's awesome I am so glad for them wish I could have done it but I am so glad for them you know it's okay to have that feeling but you truly celebrate it so wanting more brings fatigue more expenses more anxiety and fourth thing is what does it bring more conflict fatigue fatigue plus expenses plus anxiety equal conflict that's not good First Timothy yeah. six nine, and and we touched on this verse earlier. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. So life's experiences create momentum. It's our choice as to whether that momentum is a positive, spiritual, contented momentum, or a negative, sensual, restless momentum. Happiness is only at the back end of one of those things. And let me give you a hint. It's the momentum that's positive, spiritual, and contented. When we have momentum in our lives, and we do create this momentum, momentum that is sensual, restless, and negative, you can't find happiness there. It just doesn't live there. It just doesn't go. Let's go to another soundbite real quick here, How to Be Happy, The Science of Happiness. And they're talking about uh, something we've touched on several times, gratitude and happiness. Being intentionally grateful is very powerful too. Well-known researcher Brene Brown said, In 12 years of research, I have never interviewed a single person with the capacity to really experience joy who does not also actively practice gratitude. In one study, people who wrote down things they were grateful for once a week for six weeks felt happier and less depressed for up to six months. They reported better sleep quality. And they were more likely to engage in healthy behaviors like exercise. So to be intentionally grateful. And again, going back to that question that came in about uh, inherited anxiety. Intentional gratitude is a great way to combat such things. And the, the downside is when we're trying to get more, what do we end up with more of? The fifth point. More dissatisfaction. Right. We, we think having more will make me more happy, more secure, more important, more loved. None of that is true, Rick. No, no. So we end up dissatisfied by looking for more, 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 instead of being satisfied by realizing the value of the spirituality that we have in our lives and the, the, the competence that we can grow in our spiritual lives. First Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. All right, so it doesn't say money is the source, uh, uh, is a root of, of all sources of evil. It says the love of money. 
Money is a great tool. And if you are blessed with having use of that tool, you should use it. You should use it wisely and in a way that will create a momentum that is spiritually contented and positive because that can bring not only contentment and happiness in your life, but it can also bring contentment and happiness to others. So life's experiences experiences bring us to conclusions. People, especially in cultures of plenty like ours, continually wrestle with life. And that's one of the really sad things, Jonathan, is people wrestle with life. Godly contentment accepts life and invites happiness. It doesn't say that, oh, life is perfect, but it accepts life in such a way as to say, that life that I'm experiencing is good for me because my spiritual uh, maturity is helping me to see it that way. Rick, this is making a lot of sense, but what about this? What do we do when we don't feel like being happy or contented? Is all lost? There's easy questions where answers come quickly. Let's tackle a big question that isn't that easy. So is all lost? Is all lost when we don't feel like we're happy and we don't feel content? It's like, okay, are we done? Is there just nothing left anymore? No, 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 no. That's a place to start. All is not lost. All is actually begun if we are seeking spiritual um, uh, competence in our lives. So let's go to the fifth happiness observation. The happiness we strive for is a profound and deep state of mind. It's not just just being happy. The happiness that we are looking at, that we're focusing on, that we're striving for is a very profound, deep state of mind that says, I am happy because and you have a sense of contentment behind the emotional feeling. And that's, remember, happiness as a state of mind, contentment as a state of being, you put the two together, and that makes for a great life. Even in the midst of trial, it makes for a great life. We have another great quote uh, from John Maxwell, and these aren't the exact words, Jonathan. I remembered him saying it, so these words are off, but the, the, the sense of the quote is, is, is true. Act your way into feeling rather than feel your way into acting. <laughs> and that is such an important part of our lives, to understand that we need to do the things that we ought to be doing instead of waiting till we feel like doing them and then do them. By doing them, you create the feeling to be able to do them. And now, Jonathan, I want to go to the wisdom of, um, hang on here. Uh, I just lost myself. Here we go. <laughs> I want to go to the wisdom of of a of a movie character. Now this 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 movie character may not be looked at as very wise by many, but in this particular segment in this particular time there is great wisdom. This movie character is a fish. You might recognize her from the movie Finding Nemo.
what you doing? It's gone. I've lost the mask. Where'd you drop it? You dropped it! That was my only chance of finding my son. Now it's gone! Hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. When life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. Doreen, I'm singing. Ho, 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 ho. I love to swim in. Doreen. When you want to swim, you want See, to See, I'm gonna get stuck on. now with that song. Now it's in my head. Sorry. <laughs> I love that. Just keep swimming, huh, yeah, Rick? Yeah, because, you know, old grumpy gills. You know, here's what you do. When life's got you down, you just keep moving. You just keep moving forward because even if you don't feel like it, you've got to do something. And if you stay still, that's where anxiety grows. If we continue to move, that's where contentment can begin to find us. So there's incredible... Hey, Rick, yes. How about another little little thing to be thankful for and grateful for. Go ahead. How about the thermostat climate control? <laughs> just this little dial that you turn, just a fraction, can change the environment in your house. So it's a little too cold, you turn the dial and you're all set. Don't gotta, yes. You don't have to go cut a tree down. You don't have to chop the wood. <laughs> you don't have to stoke the fire. I mean, think about it. You're right. We have so many things to be thankful for that can contribute to our contentment and our happiness. So, But Jonathan, our lives are inconsistent. Managing... Yes. Managing the inconsistencies of our interpretation of life is tricky. Now, I said the interpretation of life. Managing the inconsistencies of life is not that tricky. But our interpretation of the inconsistencies of life, managing that is tricky because the way we interpret it makes them more difficult. Again, focus on and attaining contentment will by default bring us happiness. Not the fleeting happiness of something new or some temporary lift of a, some single experience. True spiritual contentment brings a happiness that is abiding, powerful, and life-changing. And that can happen in the midst of the most difficult pieces and parts of our lives. If we are seeking the contentment, spiritual competence, the contentment, the spiritual ability to, to ward things off, and then that happy acceptance of the things that come our way because they come, we know, through the filter of God's will for us. So one final soundbite, Jonathan, here from How to Be Happy, The Science of Happiness, and that's uh, in relation to um, boosting our happiness. Here are five ways to instantly boost your happiness. Spend five minutes doing something to brighten the day of someone you love. Email someone and thank them for something they did for you. Have a meaningful conversation with a good friend. Take 30 seconds to help someone who needs it. Or just savor a memory. Close your eyes and relive the happiest moment of your life. People who regularly practice mindfulness meditation have increased activity in the left prefrontal cortex, the area of the brain responsible for calm and happiness and it helps to practice empathy. Take someone else's point of view. When others feel understood, you have a chance to build intimacy and well-being. Okay, so a lot of the things that he said that can boost our happiness are all about other people. 
and uh, helping others. Yeah, I love I, it. And I think that's utterly significant. Get outside of yourself, and that's why we're talking about the uh, our interpretation of the inconsistencies of life can be so tricky. See, contentment brings strength. And again, contentment is not just sitting back and letting things come to you and say, "Oh, it's never nothing's going to bother me." That's not contentment because that's not spiritual competence. That's what we're talking about when we talk about contentment. Contentment brings strength. Philippians 4, 10 to 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. All right, and that word, I've learned to be content, is very similar to the word for the competence, and it means to be self-complacent, which sounds weird, or to be contented. I have learned to be okay in whatever circumstances I am. And again, that's a deliberate, intentional interpretation of the inconsistencies of your life. When you make that deliberate interpretation, intentional interpretation to say, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You're not saying, oh, whatever it is, I'm going to be fine with. You are saying, whatever it is, I am in a position to be able to learn from, don't know how yet, don't feel like it yet, don't even want to yet, but I am in that position because God has granted me this very important experience, even though I really can't stand it at this moment. And Rick, we're stewards uh, of, of Christ. Um, we need to be faithful as stewards over the gifts that are given to us in our lives. And if we look at it as our responsibility, our families, our things, our jobs, our, our um, church, everything, we're stewards, that should give us the strength to move forward. Well, and you're right. And, that, and that, again, what that comes down to, that's the spiritual competence that we've been talking about, is looking at our lives from the standpoint of a, of a godly perspective. And that truly is, by being a steward, you are uh, um, given the responsibility of taking care of something that's not yours. Well, our lives are not our own, all right? And, and that's an important part of this. Our lives have been given over to, to God through Christ— and God, through Christ, gives those lives back to us and says, okay, thank you, you've given it to me. You take care of it. You develop it. You nurture it. You feed it. You guide it. You let that life become an honor to my name. That's what being a steward is. Contentment comes through that competence of saying, I'm so glad I'm a steward of God, even when things really are terrible in my life. So contentment can, um, uh, it, to be content uh, is to be competent in God's strength. That's so, it brings strength. Okay, first of all, contentment brings strength, and then to be content is to be competent in God's strength. And we're going to go again to Philippians 4.12, which was our theme scripture, and then we're going to add verse 13 to it. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that verse 13, I can do all things through him, you know, in the King James Version, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is very much misrepresented so many times. 
Because you, you read, if you read just that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can do anything. That means I can, I can uh, you know, conquer this, I can make that money, I can close that sale, I can do this, I can, I can get that new car, I can, I can, you know, I can, I can uh, pr- provide my kids the, the highest level of Ivy League ev- education possible because str- it's Christ that strengthens me. It's not what it's saying. It's not what it's saying it's, at all. It's talking about, I've learned how to get along with humble means. I've seen prosperity and I know the secret where we started of going hungry, of both having and suffering need. I can do all of those things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not I can do anything I want. Is I've learned the secret of spiritual competence through Christ who strengthens me. This strength is the soil in which happiness can grow to be tended and to flourish. Happiness is right there, folks. If you want it, just seek godly contentment first. So contentment brings us strength. To be content is to be competent in God's strength. And strength is what brings us happiness. And, and Jonathan, we haven't even touched on this throughout this entire podcast, but did you know that Jesus gave us a teaching specifically dedicated to happiness? He gave us a whole big teaching all about happiness. Let's just touch, just touch the scratch the surface on that, uh, and we're going to scratch the surface with Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now if you recognize that, this is the first of the Beatitudes. That's right. And in the King James Version, and in, in this case the New American Standard, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, read Matthew 5, verse 3, that first of the Beatitudes from the Phillips translation. How happy are those who know their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. How happy are those who know their need for God. So now when you go through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, substitute the word blessed with the word happy. Because happy, Jonathan, is easier for us to identify with than blessed. You're right. That's so true. Because happy comes from within the human frame. And a lot of times we think in, in those terms. And the, the words in, very, in, in, in a lot of scriptures are interchangeable. So it's not like you're, you're corrupting the scripture. What you're doing is using a word that can help you to identify with it and say, oh, happy are those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Happy? I can see blessed in that situation, but happy? Why happy? Because spiritually you have become competent to understand that as a steward of God through Christ, this is a a wonderful experience for your ultimate development. So now, as we begin to wrap this all up, Jesus really was focused on our happiness. He doesn't, you know, the way the scriptures are interpreted or, or, you know, are written, they don't necessarily bring out the happiness part. He really was focused on our happiness, not happiness by giving us stuff, but happiness by helping us to become something in the hands of God that can be used to bring him glory. Even the night before he was crucified, Jesus taught us 
how to be happy. Let's look at John, our final scripture, John 13, 12 to 17. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Okay, so now this is a happiness lesson. And yet it starts with Jesus humbling himself before everyone else, taking the lowest position of everyone in the room and serving. And he says, do you know what I've done? I'm the one that you call teacher. I'm the one who lowered himself to the lowest position. I'm showing you this so that you will do this for each other. What's that got to do with happiness? Well, let's continue. Verses 15 to 17. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So the bottom line end result lesson of this particular text is really simple. He says, I gave you this example because I want you to do what I did. You are not greater than me. You know that. And if you do this, if you know what I've done, and you understand the value of what I've done, and you do what I have done, he says you are blessed if you do it. What does that word blessed mean? Happy. Now think about this. He is literally walking into crucifixion shortly after this, within hours of this, okay? Into the, into the inquisitions of the night that would bring him to the crucifixion the next day. And at that very tenuous, stressful, disheartening moment for him, he teaches this lesson and he says, I want you to be happy in your Christian life. And I think the point, Jonathan, is he was happy in his sacrifice. He was happy to go through the torture and the torment and the pain and the misrepresentation because it meant glory to God. That is spiritual uh, competence. That's contentment. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So, Jonathan, as we wrap this up, we've got about 20 seconds here. You know, um, what is it that we need to be looking at in terms of our lives, uh, in terms of how things work, and in terms of what we do? To be happy means to be spiritually contented, to be competent, to put things in order, and to methodically understand the purpose of all of our trials and all of our difficulties in our lives so we can do the things that would be honoring to God. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We'll be back again next week with another subject. So until then, why can't you just be happy? Because you're trying to do it the wrong way. Seek contentment in God first. Happiness will come. Think about it. Folks, remember, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic suggest future topics, start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com, and make sure to download the app, search Christian Questions in your app store. We look forward to bringing you a new program next week.